previously on One Tree Hill. Is everyone ready? <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. Can you see my ass through this? <laughs> I'm the guy for you, Brooke Davis. Chris and Brooke are in bed together. I wanted you to fight for me. How am I supposed to know that? You just are. I have cancer. Your other mom will be dead soon. Punches, slaps, what, what? Batman, <laughs> Nelly Fox, Rachel is a temptress, lots of shirt removals, Bruca stuff, the ladies are in jail. Okay, what the hell just happens? <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Was that a good impression of the opening previously on for yes, this it episode? Is. <laughs> That was perfect. It has Fallout Boy playing in the background. Like, it's setting the tone. It's like, hey, like, we're back for from our mid-season hiatus, baby. Here we are. I mean, it's an exciting recap. <laughs> <laughs> the most exciting recap ever. I just love how it ends with Brooke saying, okay, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I am a fan. Anyway, should we tell uh, should we tell our listeners what show uh, they're, they're listening to, in case they don't know? Yeah, probably should. <laughs> Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week, we are discussing Brave New World, the 10th episode of season three, which is written by John A. Norris, directed by John Asher, and originally aired on the WB on January 11th, 2006. Except for me, because I watch it on January 14th, 2006, because there was a fucking basketball game that played on the original air date, and then they preempted it over here in our area, and I am so mad about that. Just imagine. Imagine waiting a whole month to see what happens next, and you had to wait an extra few days, okay? No. Yes. Are you for real? I, I am 100% <laughs> for real. This is back in the early days of the WB, when, or the late days of the WB, because this is the WB's last year. Um, yeah, in the, the early days of the CW used to do this, too. Like, whenever there was, like, a sports game or something like that, they would actually preempt shows. They don't do that anymore. I can just imagine teenage Jeremy freaking out <laughs> after waiting for from the last episode that whole month. Yeah, I was so mad, and I remember I was on the, I was on the phone with my friends, and we were like, "When is this basketball game going to end? Like, is is it going to air?" And then like the time just kept ticking and kept ticking and kept ticking, and then all of a sudden, boom! One tree held an air at all. Wow. And this was also during a time, too, when, like, you couldn't, like, check, like, a guide or anything like that. You couldn't check social media to see, like, when the when the episode would be re-airing. And we didn't have DVR or anything. So, like, we, like I remember I kept checking back on the WB being like, oh, like, when is it going to air? When is it going to air? And then all of a sudden you had to catch a commercial that said, One Tree Hill on in a special time, Saturday, January 14th, only on the WB. How do you remember that it was on the 14th, Jeremy? Like, seriously, well, what kind well, of memory no. do you have? Okay, okay so I, I had to check back on the date, but I know, like, January 11th was a Wednesday, and then it aired that Saturday, so I had to go back to see. So I did some math. Yes, you did. I'm looking at calendars from 2006. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yes. I love it. But yeah, that's how I knew. Like, I, I remember vividly I had to watch it on Saturday, Saturday at 8 p.m. That really sucks. I am sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. It's uh, It was a hard day back in back on January 11th, 2006, but I got through it, okay? You did. 
Anyway. Always and forever is spoiler-free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is a place where everything's better and everything's safe. We pick up right where we left off in the last episode. Nathan is woken up by a phone call from Zeb and leaves Haley behind in bed. Dan sneakily steals a note that Nathan left for Haley, so when Haley wakes up, she wonders where Nathan went. Nathan meets Deb at a motel where she confesses to setting Dan's dealership on fire. At first, Nathan is upset by this, but Deb convinces him that Dan will always try to control his life. Deb tells Nathan that she's not coming back to Tree Hill and that she needs to be strong on her own. They say goodbye for now. Lucas is woken up by a phone call from Peyton, who needs him to come over right away. Brooke is upset that he has to leave, but Lucas tells her that they need to start trusting each other now. Peyton asks Lucas to go on a road trip to find Ellie in River City. When Peyton finds Ellie, she asks her if she would be interested in moving in and helping her put out a record. Peyton gives Ellie a copy of Haley's new song. Peyton asks Ellie if she's in remission, and Ellie says that she's going to be fine. Later that day, Peyton sees that Ellie's cabinets and refrigerator are empty, and accuses her of coming there to die. Ellie becomes angry and asks Peyton to leave. Peyton then reveals that she wanted to put out a record to support cancer research. While Peyton spends time with Ellie, Lucas explores River City and finds an old friend named Faith at the basketball court. Faith questions Lucas's newfound popularity and cheerleader girlfriend, Brooke, but she soon finds out that while Lucas has changed, it's for the best. In other news, Brooke's close of her bro's website goes live and her orders quickly increase. She calls a bunch of friends to help sew the clothes. Since Brooke isn't happy about Lucas going on a road trip with Peyton, she takes her emotions out on everyone working under her. Haley calls her out for being mean and ungrateful, and Brooke apologizes to everyone. She asks Mouth to shut the website down and says that she will make the rest of the clothes on her own. As Ellie listens to Haley's new song, she gets a message from her doctor asking about her decisions and treatment. Unexpectedly, Ellie shows up at Peyton's door and says that this is only a business arrangement. Lucas returns from the trip and brings Brooke to the River Corps as a way to include her in his world. Sewing the dress that I bought online, I'm Caitlin Ellenich. And wearing my R is for rad t-shirt. I am Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> Love it. We both had fashion-related yes. things. Yes. <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of R is for rad, uh, this is about has to do with Haley. I guess uh, we should note that this is the first episode where Bethany Joy Lenz is credited as Bethany Joy Galliotti. Because at this time, when this episode aired, she got married. They have since gotten divorced, so we're going to still keep calling her Bethany Joy Lads. But just wanted to note that little Oh, tidbit. I didn't realize that, that this was yep. the first episode. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense, because I feel like she's recently mentioned on the Drama Queens podcast about this being the time when she probably was getting married or something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. But anyway, apropos of nothing, uh, this uh, episode is titled after the song Brave New World by Iron Maiden. What did you think of this song, Caitlin? Well, I like the title, um, Brave New World. I think a lot of the characters in this episode are being brave or trying to be brave in a quote-unquote new world. 
Uh, for example, Deb is, I feel like she's trying to be brave on her own and, and be strong by getting away from Dan, leaving Tree Hill, even though that involves also leaving Nathan. But she's trying to be brave and to set out in this new world of hers. Um, Brooke's also trying to be brave about her feelings related to Lucas and Peyton. And she's also in, like, this new world of a relationship, which is different for her. You know, Lucas and Brooke are trying to figure out, like, themselves in this relationship. And then you have Peyton, who she's also trying to figure out a new relationship with her mother, Ellie. And I think she's she's trying to put on a brave face in a really kind of scary time because she's questioning if Ellie is in remission or not. And... I think that's a lot to handle, but she's trying to be brave and actually went to go see Ellie and, you know, try to mend this relationship that really had a rocky start. Those are the big connections that I had. Yeah, for sure. What were your thoughts? Um, well, I completely agree with the title. And I feel like there is sort of like a positive aspect to it because it's about these characters enter into this, this brave new world. However, upon listening to the song, I felt like there was kind of like a foreboding nature in general about it. So I decided to uh, Google, like, what does the phrase brave new world mean? Like, where, like, where did it originate from? And I ended up finding a reference uh, from William Shakespeare's The Tempest in Act 5, Scene 1. Yeah, I'm getting high brow in my analysis Whoa, here. is this Jeremy's lit grit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the quote is... Oh wonder, how many goodly creatures are there here? How beauteous mankind is, oh brave new world, that has such people in it. And I had no idea what that meant, because I don't understand Shakespeare. I am not highbrow enough. But according to analysis on Wikipedia, uh, Shakespeare's use of the phrase is intended ironically, as the speaker has failed to recognize the evil nature of the island's visitors because of her innocence. So, I feel like uh, there's... Like, everything that's going on with these characters right now, it's like, okay, things are positive in the moments, but this could be a prelude of bad things to come. Like, maybe the characters are being a little bit naive about how the future could could be good. And there's a lot that we could say in this section, but we can't, because we're spoiler-free, you know? <laughs> well, the one thing we do know from this episode is that Ellie is no longer seeking treatment for her cancer. Yes. So I think that definitely, what you just said, I think that relates to it. Like, even though Peyton is making the effort to, like, get to know Ellie and, like, there's this relationship that's, like, kind of forming, you know, mother-daughter, but there's that darkness there. Like, we know as the audience the truth. Peyton doesn't know yet. Right. The dramatic irony. All right. Are we ready to dig into the episode? Yes. Yeah, so let's do it. This episode <laughs> is fine. Can I just say one thing about the previously on that we didn't get to? <laughs> sure. I love how, like, it's meant to be a recap, and it is, but everything's so out of order that it just makes no sense at all. <laughs> Did you realize that? It's yeah, just such I mean, a chaotic... I don't know, collage of, like, literally every little scene in the whole 
season so far. This was those YouTube, uh, this was a YouTube compilation videos before people started yes. making YouTube compilation videos. You know what I mean? Like, the, you, want, you know how, like, uh, people will compile, like, scenes from their favorite TV shows uh-huh. with the song in the background? That is this, basically. And that makes more sense, because that's not aiming to be a recap, but this was aiming to be, like, refresh your memory on everything that happened, even though everything is out of order and makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my thoughts. <laughs> they were trying to do something cool, you know, but anybody can make this on YouTube. I can make this on YouTube, and I'd be very confident in that. <laughs> yeah, you're the video master now. Stop that. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, this episode opens with a quote from Ida Scott Taylor. Do not look back and grieve over the past, for it is gone. And do not be troubled about the future, for it has yet to come. Live in the present and make it so beautiful that it will be worth remembering. And over that, we see sexy chest kisses. Brucus walks through the park and Nathan wakes up. I'm sure there's other things too, but those are the things that suck out to me. <laughs> so I think the quote relates to the episode and basically what we just talked about with the Brave New World song, actually. These characters are all kind of in a new place and they're trying to live in the moment. For example, Peyton going to see Ellie is one thing. Brooke is really trying to live in the moment too. And and because the whole episode starts with Lucas saying, you know, like, I'm going to go see Peyton. And then he says, you know, we have to trust each other now. And I know Brooke is nervous about that, but she's trying to put on that brave face and live in the present. So I, I see this quote like directly. Trying to. Yes. <laughs> but you can see that it is bothering her. She yeah. is living in the past. Which That whole thing you said about we're not. We're not there yet, but we will be in a second. But I am I am so enraged, Caitlin. <laughs> Keep going with what you were saying, and then I will go off on my tangent. Sure. Um, that was basically all I have to say about this. I think the quote's pretty straightforward. It even says, like, specifically at the beginning, do not look back and grieve over the past. I also think that is related to what Brooke's gro- going through, you know? Like, she's right away, as soon as she's with... Lucas, she is reminded of that past. And I feel like, in a way, she's kind of grieving that in this episode. Like, all of those emotions are coming back, and she's thinking of what happened and how she was hurt by it. But at the same time, she's trying to trust, you know, and trying to live in the present. Good for Brooke. Yeah. Okay. Can I go off on my tangent now? Yeah, you can. Awesome. So... It is really funny because watching last episode, I was so happy for Brooke and Lucas to get back together. And in this episode, I am completely fucking enraged with Lucas. Let me tell you, I have come such a long way from like the all men should die feminist trope. And I I don't believe that anymore. But now I'm thinking like literally Lucas should be brutally murdered. Okay. (laughs) After what he fucking said. Okay, so the two of them are in bed together. Lucas is like, oh, that's Peyton. I gotta go see her. And, you know, Brooke's like, oh, like, my my best friend Peyton or your ex-girlfriend Peyton. And then Lucas rolls over and says, we just have to trust each other this time. I'm sorry, Lucas. You should not be the one saying that. 
You just should not be the one saying that. No, I agree. I mean, everything that I just said about the quote in relation to Brooke and Lucas, that doesn't mean that I agree with with it all. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I absolutely think that Lucas did the wrong thing here. Like, I don't know. I feel like the writers are really trying to take this in a direction and, and just cause trauma to Brooke personally and even to the audience <laughs> like, and i feel like the whole thing like we just have to trust each other i feel like they're trying to like make a comparison between like brooke sleeping with chris keller and i feel like it would have been so much better if it was brooke if brooke was the one saying we just have to trust each other this time i feel like that would have been good would have been a good way to turn it on its head but like lucas being like oh we just have to trust each other like i feel like that's just gaslighted at this point yeah like, you know, you have no reason not to trust Brooke. Brooke has plenty of reasons not to trust him. I feel like this storyline is being set up as like a test. It's a callback, obviously, to season one when Lucas and Peyton went on that road trip to find Peyton's dad, who might have been dead, but he wasn't. Um, Brooke is left behind, and that is where they, you know, make out and cheat on Brooke. Speaking of which, uh, I loved how when Brooke had a little flashback to Lucas cheated, and it was literally that exact scene. And I'm like, Brooke, how, did you, how do you know how it happened? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, we can just say, like, it's her mem- or her imagination of what went down. I know, and it was very... Uh, it, it was very accurate. It's what actually happened. So yeah, I, fu- yeah, I just, I just found that funny. I get what they were trying to do. I'm just making a funny joke here. <laughs> yeah, so it's a callback to season one. It's not very tasteful. Because, <laughs> like, the writers are setting it up as that callback. And it's almost like showing you, can they make it through it this time? You know? And it's serving as a test. Like, uh, can Lucas be faithful Can Brooke trust him? Those are the questions that we, I think, as the audience, are supposed to be wondering about. I mean, there there was no chemistry between Lucas and Peyton, like, in this episode. So, there is that. There there was no, like, weird tension or anything. It was solely, like, he was there as a friend to support her. Which would be fine, but... It happened the morning after Brooke got together. Like, Lucas, you got to say no. Like, there's got to be some boundary here. Come on. Yes. That's not to say that you couldn't go with Peyton another time. But the day after? So soon into this? Right. <laughs> exactly. It, it's really problematic. Wearing the same clothes, so. Yeah. Like, did you notice that, too? Like, he was wearing the same exact clothes he wore in the previous episode. Yeah, because he just got out of bed. Yeah. But, but he wore that the entire day, too, with, like, his mom's election and everything. And <laughs> That's funny. And Lucas still looks good. He probably didn't shower, either. Mm-hmm. He just, like, rolls out of bed, and I'm just saying, I wish I could do that. Seriously. Anyhow. <laughs> I, so I, you know, in this in this moment, I feel for Brooke. I know she's trying to kind of hide her feelings initially and then she takes him out on the wrong 
people, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> so she's not addressing it with the person who it needs to be addressed with, you know, Lucas. Mm-hmm. It's being, you know, she has these emotions, but she's not voicing them. There's no communication there. Like, she, I think, had any, every right in this moment when she heard that Lucas was going to go on a road trip with Peyton. I think she had every reason to speak up. But I, I know she she wants to trust. That That's the whole issue this whole season. Like, she doesn't trust Lucas. She doesn't want to get hurt. And now, like, they've gotten to a good place in three, 309, previous episode. And now it's like that's being tested so soon. Yeah, and I think that's... I feel like that's an interesting story to to pursue. Just like you said, like, can Lucas be faithful? And can Brooke trust him to be faithful? Like, that's an interesting story to show. But I don't like how there's so much... How Luke, I don't like how Lucas is being held on a pedestal. Like, the whole thing, like, we just have to trust each other this time. And then the episode fucking ends with him pretending that Peyton's car broke down. I know. What were the writers and, thinking? And then, like, you know, making Brooke all insecure that Lucas is at the door. Like, oh, my God, big surprise. Like, he's not with me, and he's with Brooke. Oh, that's so great. Like, so much character development. But I'm like, you're really using your girlfriend who you just recently got back together with. You're using her trauma as a punchline. There was no time where that was ever funny. It wasn't funny in season one. It hasn't been funny all season. It's not funny now. So I I don't know what Lucas... Why did they... Why did the writers have Lucas say that? Because they probably thought it was funny. It's really kind of sleazy. Yeah. Granted, I feel like when I was a teen and I saw this, when I saw this on January 14th, 2006, <laughs> I, I am pretty sure that I laughed or like, you know, cheered and been like, oh, yay. But now as an adult, I realized like, yo, you don't play with people's trauma like that. Because when I was 15, I didn't have a lot of trauma. Now that I'm a 31 year old adult, I've gone through trauma in my life. And I know you shouldn't like, you know, play with people's trauma. <laughs> Absolutely not. And think about it. This entire season, this entire season, Lucas has tried to win Brooke over and have her trust him. Like, that's all he's wanted was to win her over, you know? He he has made it clear that he loves her, you know, and he want, wanted that reciprocated. So, like, why would you mess with someone who, who took this long to come around to it? Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, I'm pissed off. Can we talk about, like, you know, lighter fare, even though it's not super lighter fare? I don't think there's, like, nothing light about this entire episode other than, like, (laughs) Brooke yelling at everyone is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But let's talk about Naley. So Nathan just leaves a note behind for Haley, and then Dan breaks into the bedroom, takes the note, um, and makes Haley feel all insecure and shit. And Dan's very creepy in this scene. It's weird. He says to Haley, this house and everything in it will always belong to me. And he, like, sits down on the bed. Ugh. Yeah, I, I couldn't wait till that scene was over. It was just, like, creeping me out. <laughs> yeah, like, this is a teenage girl, Dan, okay? Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's not, not too cool. And then, uh, so, 
Nathan and Haley, they have this really, like, great night together, and then she wakes up and the note was stolen, so now she is the entire episode wondering where Nathan is. Yeah. And questioning kind of everything that happened the night before, which makes me feel really bad for her. Yeah, and she's probably feeling a little bit weird, because I feel like this is, like, a situation where it's, like, the characters could just talk to each other. Like, you see throughout the episode, like, she keeps looking at her phone, like, should I call Nathan? Should I call Nathan? But I feel like with uh, with the context of the relationship right now, maybe she didn't want to disrespect his boundaries. Like, maybe he wanted to leave. I guess she just wanted to respect that a little bit. Yeah, because so. they're not, like, fully together right now. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely, they're making strides, but I wouldn't say, like, they're back together. So, and, of course, Dan makes her insecure and says, like, oh, I'm still waiting for those anomaly papers. Don't think a one-night stand is going to change that. So, like, it doesn't help that Haley is here in these outside forces as well. Yeah, I feel like Haley would feel like anyone would feel in that moment. And nowadays, you would just be texting someone, hey, I had to go you know, do this thing or whatever. <laughs> like, right. why didn't he text her at least? Uh, te- yeah. Texting existed then, I guess. Or he should have called and left a voicemail. But he left an old-fashioned note, which is cute because it was by the bedside. But, you know, of course, Dan has to be a creeper. Yeah. Why is Dan in that house? Because Deb was there this whole time, and now Deb just leaves town, he knows right away, and he's just back at, back at the house. <laughs> He does not understand boundaries. Absolutely okay. not. Where really has he been living? I guess, you know, I, I feel like we- beach house. Oh, yeah, the beach house. You're right. I guess that's but where he's knows? been. But he- But I don't know. That's what I always assume, personally. Because he was also there when Chris- Remember he came in two episodes ago? Yeah. He came into the house, and that's when Dan gave him the money to seduce Haley. Yeah, well, th- that's when uh, him and Zeb were pretending to be together, so I feel like I can understand that a little bit. Yeah, so I guess he has been at the house, but... But now that he won the election, mm-hmm. oof, you would think he would probably be moved out of there, and he, he would have no reason to go back there, you know? Yeah, but then I guess now that Deb's gone, why wouldn't he go back there, you know? I, I It's very confusing. Well, he doesn't know that Deb... I, I want to assume he doesn't know that Deb's gone, right? Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I guess she signed the divorce papers. I guess that's getting processed. You would think. Yeah, we don't really know what Dan knows, actually. Who knows? But one thing I want to ask you, what did you think about Nathan just ignoring Haley's phone call? True. Yeah, he he did ignore that. Yeah. What did you think of that? I think that Nathan has... What moment did he ignore that? Like, the very next morning, it's when he was on the phone with Zeb. And I have a little bit of space for that because he was probably scared for his mom. Like, why did his mom leave in the middle of the night? I think he had a lot on his mind, yeah. So, yeah, I get that he ignored the call, but he probably should have called back sooner than just showing up later that night. (laughs) Right. Because that does leave someone wondering all day. That could be one thing, but then maybe there's also some part of them that is insecure. Even if he, even though he knows he wants to stay with Haley, like, you know, they had a good night together. He probably is feeling a little bit, his trust is still a little bit weird right now. So I feel like both could be true. Yeah. He, even though, like, we see at the end of the episode, he does go back to Haley and he says, oh, I just want to see, just wanted to see you. But, you know, you can still feel two things at the same time. So... 
Yeah, I I agree with that. I think it was just kind of like a tough moment for him. There was just a lot going on, and I think he hasn't had a chance to process his feelings either, because he just got, like, woke up, got this phone call, and had to go. Like, he hasn't really had a moment to think, to even talk to Haley the next morning, and get the whole Mm -hmm. vibe of, you know, how they're still feeling the next morning. So, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to process overall. Lots of feelings all around. So, but I didn't like that Haley was feeling all insecure. Um, but I, I, I feel like I appreciate how Nathan came around more so than I appreciate the way Lucas, quote unquote, came around. Because Lucas didn't come around. Lucas was fucking playing, Brooke. You said that you didn't like how Haley was insecure. I mean, I didn't like how Haley was insecure because it made me sad. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> like, plot-wise, I understood. Yeah, because I'm like, that's pretty understandable, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it just made me sad. I hated that she was like, you know, I'm inserting myself into the narrative in this situation. I'm not speaking outside of the narrative like I am with Brooke and Lucas, because seriously, like, fuck Lucas. It is interesting point, though. Like, both of these relationships or, or couples are working to, like, trust each other and like kind of feel out their relationship but just in totally different ways they have totally different histories um but i think i think trust is a big part in both of them though yeah and there was uh there was even one moment where uh where Haley is talking to brooke and she was she was sort of projecting her own insecurities with lucas or her own insecurities with nathan i should say and she's telling brooke like oh like you know the your guy just left you in the morning and i feel like they are going through something similar in that regard yeah and brooke i think it was meant to be like Haley was talking about herself but i feel like brooke was thinking it was almost like a criticism of like what happened to her with lucas leaving in the morning yeah so yeah that is interesting they're both going through that at the same time getting yeah, left getting left there. in the morning not a good feeling. Nope. All right. Are you ready to move on to even heavier stuff? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> this episode, I feel like, has a lot of good ideas, but I don't think it's particularly good. <laughs> you know? It's an interesting follow-up to the last one. Um, I don't know. I'm, like, still kind of processing my thoughts about it, but it, a lot of these storylines kind of go in directions that I didn't didn't necessarily expect them to go in. I feel you. So, yeah, it is a, a kind of a weird episode, actually, now that you say that. But, but the Lu- highlight for Lu- me is is um, Peyton seeing Ellie. That. Oh, I thought you were about to say the latent road trip. I'm like, Caitlin. No, I was about to because that's what—that's the wording on the script. But uh, <laughs> I don't know why I worded it that way. I literally wrote it wrote it as latent road trip to see Ellie, but that really isn't the point of the no, story. No, it isn't. But before we even get into the Ellie stuff, the latent road trip part, like really the only significant I think part related to Lucas and Peyton is when Peyton calls Lucas out, which we have to give Peyton props here. Like, she yells at him and says, are you kidding me? You just (laughs) got back together with Brooke and you're with me? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what the What did she say? She said something along the lines of, like, 
Oh, like, we're terrible. No, I'm not terrible. I didn't know anybody. You're the terrible one. <laughs> she said yeah. something along those lines. It's true. She did not know. She just honestly called him as a friend. Uh-huh. You know, like an innocent thing. Yeah. She did not know any fucking better. <laughs> so, yeah, we have to give Peyton credit there for calling. At, at that point, they were already en route to Ellie. So, like, they're not going to turn around at this point. Yeah. And as soon as they get to Ellie, Peyton's like, take the car and I'm going in by myself. So that was the end of the, the road trip, basically. Yes. So I'm glad that they didn't play up any kind of chemistry in this episode because that would have just made it even worse. Right. Thank God they didn't do that. And I'm, you know, I love Layton, but gosh, that would have been awful. Yeah, I feel like the writers want us to root for Lucas and Brooke right now. Yeah, they do. So, I, I feel like like it is natural for them to go into like this place of insecurity for Brooke. And, you know, by the end of the episode, I feel like they're trying to tell us, like, oh, it's different now this time. Yeah. At the same time, it's really not that difference. Because they set up the whole similar scenario season one. So, like, there was no making out. There was no cheating. But it definitely crossed a boundary. <laughs> like, a mm. major, major boundary. But Peyton does not make out with Lucas. Instead, she sees her birth mother. Yes. And the two of them talk. It's kind of like an awkward reunion. I like when Peyton just walks into the house and Ellie is just like... Oh, no, it's okay for you to be here. You know, I looked through your room. Oh, wait, you weren't okay with that, were you? <laughs> it's a good point, though. It really is. It, it is a good point, but it also shows that, like, you know, the two of them have very similar attitudes. They're both, like, feisty. Yeah. So I felt that. I felt the portrayal here. Yeah. I, these scenes, honestly, like, they were the highlight of the episode for me, personally. And, you know, Ellie right away, you know, says, why are you here? And Peyton reveals that she wants to make a record and she wants help from Ellie because she knows a musician who's really good, which we know is Haley. How, would, how does Peyton know about this album or that the fact that these masters exist? Because Nathan just got a hold of the masters the night before. Oh, my God, you're right. What the <laughs> heck? How would that happen that fast? Like, okay, maybe, like, Peyton and Haley had a conversation off screen. Like, Haley's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I made a record, blah, blah, blah. But, like, how did uh, Peyton get a hold of the Masters? Because did Luke, did Nathan just stop by and give the Masters to Peyton? And, and, and if so, why? <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of that. That is such a plot <laughs> hole because it all happened literally late the night before. And then now, like, in the morning, Peyton's going on this road trip. So, like, we're in... And, and Haley and Nathan were spending the night together. Yeah. And we already knew that Peyton wanted to see Ellie anyway. And now she just formulates this excuse. Like, oh, yeah, like, I... Oh, I have a friend who uh, is putting out this record. Oh. Maybe there was a rough cut that Peyton got in advance or something. Maybe it's not. Because remember uh, Ellie says it needs back background vocals or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe maybe there was a rough cut that existed. <laughs> Let's just pretend that. I, I don't yeah, I don't know. Just we just got to call out these little plot holes like we say them. Yeah, that's a good catch. I I didn't pick up on that. Should we say the thing that we always say so our listeners could take a drink as long as they're not driving? Time has no meaning <laughs> in Shree Hill. It doesn't. 
<laughs> it absolutely does not. I hope we have listeners who made like bingo cards or something for these episodes. <laughs> they because... really could with all our little phrases. Because <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, um I have space for that. <laughs> yeah, space shut for up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Ellie uh whips out an, an album from the cure and Peyton just says, uh oh, speaking of the cure, uh <laughs> are you in remission? I thought that was a cute way to bring it up. It was and, clever. <laughs> but then Ellie lies, she says she's gonna be fine, and then um Ellie walks out eventually. And then Peyton finds there's no food in the fridge or the cabinets, and that's when she confronts her birth mother. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're jumping ahead. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's rewind to back to the record yes. of the cure, because there's a really important scene I want to talk about, but then we can go to where you're Okay, you're okay, please, 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 please. <laughs> I thought this was, like, some bonding that we never saw between this mother and daughter before, you know? I feel like they had a this moment where they were really bonding over music and it it just showed how alike they are and personally I thought it was a really beautiful scene the song called um, Easier to Lie by Aqualung was playing and I really did like that moment I just want to call that out now as we're talking about the scene because Peyton says something about a little i you have a really good little collection meaning her record collection and ellie says little and then she opens the doors and the song (laughs) that was adorable yeah and the song like swells in that moment and you see this whole big room of records and it's like i just love the directing of that scene personally and then they're talking about music um and a specific album and Peyton says to Ellie but I don't remember the day yeah you know it's like with disintegration I remember the very first time I heard that record you know I remember everything about that day the weather outside the smell in the air I remember all those things and that's because that day I fell in love with something and Ellie says you fell in love with an album and Peyton says no I fell in love with music. And that was just like, I just love that. <laughs> That's my favorite quote, the, the last line that Peyton says. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I just, I love that because they have such this connection with music. And I think that's a really, like, it's a natural part for the the writers to explore in this moment. And I think it reveals a lot about Peyton, too, because we know that she loved, she She's always loved music since season one. Like, that's been her thing. And I, I just truly loved that because they were, like, connecting over this album. The shared album, basically. It was a really good scene. <laughs> I can't even it really express my love for it. It was just... I think it just reveals a lot about, like, their relationship and the characters. Did you also notice they made a reference to the song from The Cure, uh, To Wish Impossible Things? Yes, yes. Which, which is the title of the boy toy auction in season one. <laughs> yeah, that was a good callback. Uh, I don't even know if it was intended to be a callback. It probably was. Probably. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we can move on to... So after this scene, a little bit later, tell us what happens next. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so I don't even remember where I left off, but Peyton finds that there's no food in the fridge or the cabinets. 
Ellie comes up with excuses saying, like, oh, I don't have any food because I eat out, blah, blah, blah. And Ellie basically accuses Peyton. She says, like, oh, you only came here out of guilt. You didn't come here because you wanted to see me. And then Peyton says, is it so bad that I came here because I care about you? And then she just basically says, like, sorry I cared. And then that's when she also reveals that she wanted to put out this album to raise money for cancer research. And so it kind of ends on a little bit of a somber note. And then Peyton and Lucas uh, eventually drive off together. And Peyton says, I don't think I'm ever going to see her again, Luke. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. They definitely did not end on on good terms there. And, you know... I understand Peyton's thinking because it is alarming to see empty cabinets and empty fridge. It does make you wonder, but in a, such a fragile place right now, <laughs> that ca- right. calling her out like that maybe wasn't the best approach. But I don't, also yeah. at the same time, I don't think Ellie should be hiding anything from Peyton, which we know later on, which we'll get to, she is hiding. Right. I, I do love the reveal that the album was going to be for cancer research. That's really nice. And no wonder Peyton is asking Ellie to help. That's a personal, like, it's a really personal, um, I guess, decision to make with this album. Yeah. And little cross-promotional thing, but the album that ended up getting released in real life... For this, so for this show, the soundtrack, the uh, One Tree Hill soundtrack, Volume Two, Friends with Benefit. Yes. Um, proceeds from that actually did go to breast cancer research. Yeah, that was really nice. Mm-hmm. So, life imitated art here. All right. So we talked about what Peyton was up to during this road trip. Let's talk about what Lucas was up to. He meets up with an old friend named Faith, played by Makia Cox. And this this character is definitely, like, you know, a long-running character for the series, and we see her for many, many episodes after this. Oh, psych. <laughs> <laughs> I really wonder. So we never see this character again. This is it. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it's not a spoiler. I was hoping to get everybody's hopes up, damn. Um, and there's nothing, you know, negative to say about the character at all. Um, I just have no idea why this storyline was included. So now it makes me think there was even more of a reason why they included Lucas on this road trip. Because it really was supposed to spark these emotions in Brooke. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with the storyline with Faith. This is like a throwaway storyline. I'm sorry. It is. It doesn't it doesn't really mean anything. It could be totally taken out of the episode and cuz you know, we don't really get anything from it. So, I don't it's like a waste of a story to me. Lucas has changed. That's the takeaway from it. But I'm like, okay, we we kind of already knew that. Why was this thrown in here? Yeah, I don't really understand, because she says, like, basically he's defending himself being popular and being with Brooke, who apparently wasn't so great earlier in high school. And he's defending that to Faith, and then Faith asks Lucas, who's looking out for the people like me? The ones who are afraid to go to school. So that I thought was kind of interesting, like, 
because Faith mentions a lot how Lucas was, you know, like her. Like, they were outcasts, basically. And not the popular kids in any way back when she was in Tree Hill. But they couldn't have done this to, like, a River Court kid. Like, I don't know, like... Play, and, you know, no disrespect to Makia Cox or, like, you know, this this character or anything like that. But to create a new character out of nowhere and just have her for one episode and you never see her again, I just feel like it's wrong. Like, why couldn't they somehow incorporate, like, skills or somebody into this? <laughs> you know? And it makes me think about the whole diversity thing of the show. It's like, okay, we get this black supporting character in this episode. And then nothing is ever done with it again. It's almost like I, I almost feel like maybe the writers or the the crew were just were just told like, oh, you have to hire a diverse talent. And then they said, oh, look, see, we're diverse right here. Here, we're gonna have her in one episode, which is completely disrespectful to actually say like black actors in general. You know exactly. It feels like it was a representation quota that they were trying to fill. You know what I mean? And they had no intention of, like, developing the character. Yeah. Like, you know, it would be cool if they actually did something with Faith. And, you know, and I, and like I said, we're spoiler-free, but, like, we know they never do anything at all with Faith, ever. Yeah, Faith was never mentioned before this episode and it's never mentioned after this episode. <laughs> exactly, too. So, like, th- th- this wasn't even, like, a friend that, like, Lucas has mentioned throughout the series or anything like that. It's just, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, Lucas had a friend. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just saying, if you are going to, like, have, like, you know, diverse talent, like, at least make them into, like, a fully-fledged character. Do something with them, rather than just have them be in, like, a throwaway storyline that, you know, would have been fine if it was completely taken out of the episode. Yeah, it would have. And it's just, it makes me wonder also, like, what other storyline could they have had for Lucas in this episode? Because you know that they made him go on this road trip for the sole purpose of making Brooke jealous. The writers did. That was it, yeah. because then, you know, he came with Peyton, but, like, Peyton, Lucas, and Ellie can't be in a, a scene together, because that makes zero sense. What does Lucas care yeah. about Ellie? Like, he has nothing to do with that. And mm-hmm. so now, Lucas, he was almost, like, used as a device here to make Brooke jealous, to make you think about the whole trust issue that we already covered, blah, blah, blah. And now, now he's on this road trip. And he's on his own, like, what is he supposed to do? So that's where this came from. There was nothing else for him to do. So he had to find, he had to explore somewhere. But I I kind of wonder, like, how could they have taken this in a different direction if they didn't? Peyton could have just went on this road trip by herself. You know, she she totally could have done that. It didn't, we didn't even need to see her en route to the place. She could have left and then just showed up at Ellie's. And then what could have Lucas done in this episode? He could have been a supportive boyfriend helping Brooke with her clothes. There could have been just like some cute stories that maybe didn't even like push it forward. But it there could have been some cute scenes, I think, with them the next day and just showing how things are different, you know, how they are thriving in the relationship. Yeah, you know what I think would have been a more interesting storyline to take in this direction, and, and and you know this would have given this would have been sad for Mikia Cox because she wouldn't have gotten work, and I'm very happy that she did get work for this episode. But what if like Lucas was helping Brooke make the clothes and everything, but secretly he was also texting Peyton and supporting her? 
like you know, throughout the day. That way we can delve into the whole insecurity thing. But at the same time, like, you know, Brooke would need to try to think, you know, pull herself back a little bit and realize, no, you know what? My boyfriend is here with me. Yeah. I should not be in- insecure. Ooh, I like that. And she could have she could have seen a text and, you know, and, and had thoughts and like they could yeah. have addressed the whole trust issue. Yeah, because the whole trust issue, I think, it, it, like, it is an entertaining storyline, but the way it's portrayed here is just mean, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I agree. So, I would have liked that. Oh, well, we got what we got. Exactly, but shout out to Makia Cox. Uh, recently, she was on The Rookie, Chicago Med, Once Upon a Time, and a film, If Not Now, When. Thank you for sharing that. You were, you were so welcome, but... <laughs> I did like this character, though. I feel like she could have been good if they actually did something with her, but... Yeah. Because I think Makia Cox, like, was... She was good with the lines that she was given, and I kind of enjoyed her backstory about how, like, you know, her... Her mom was... The first... Was uh, a gym teacher? Yeah, the first female boys basketball coach. Yeah, Yeah. like, that's interesting. Like, I would have really liked for them to dive into that. Like, you know what? You know what I almost wonder? If, like, this character took off, I wonder if this is going to kick off a One Tree Hill spinoff. Yeah, that could be interesting. Hmm. That could have been a spinoff, just like, you know, the back the pseudo-backdoor pilot in season two with the race cars and Uncle Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, would, so. this could have potentially been a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes, absolutely. This I would have been I would have been there for. Like, oh, a woman who's hosting a boys' basketball team? Like, sign me up. Let me say this. Yeah, that would be really like, cool. I, I feel like they were trying to build a One Tree Hill franchise in these episodes, maybe, and they just fail miserably. <laughs> yeah. You know, in One Tree Hill, we don't really get too many random storylines like this, I don't think. Um... But the ones we do get are quite something. <laughs> That's my statement about that. <laughs> oh, boy. And also, I hate that her name is Faith, because the name Faith is very important for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is one of the greatest characters on the show. You're not there yet, Caitlin. <laughs> but... No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I hear the, the the name Faith, I'm like, oh, I get all excited. And then I get, like, then I see this episode, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm kind of let down. Like, this, somebody named Faith deserves better, okay? Anyway. I hear my, you. I hear you. That's my, that's my attempt to turn this into a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Can we talk about uh, the other road trip that happens <laughs> when Nathan goes to visit Zab? You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Nathan's <laughs> road trip. <laughs> I know how to transition. <laughs> so this is a very um, somber <laughs> road trip. One way to put I, it. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of wild. Um, so basically... Deb reveals that she set the dealership on fire. And she's completely honest with Nathan. I thought it was so funny how she, like, she explains what she did and she makes it sound so ominous. There were four things left to do. The first was to type the card. The second was to deliver it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is really not that, like, big of a deal, Deb. Anybody could have done this. (laughs) And the fourth was to ask God to take me far away from this person I've become. And she's crying as she's saying that. Because one of the things that she mentions is that she has changed. Um, 
and they flash back the previous scenes where she says, get out of this house, Dan, or help me, God, I will stab you in your sleep. And then she mentions, like, a boiling water to throw on you. And then Dan is like, oh, what's the syrup for? And then she's like, oh, that's how it sticks to you. Both iconic moments where she basically threatens to kill him. Yeah, they are iconic, that's for sure. Ooh, it's just it's just a lot to process, honestly. And she's she's just completely honest with Nathan. But in this which I like that she is because I feel like we haven't really gotten this from Deb. Like she she tells him not only you know that she set the dealership on fire, but I I think she also reveals like her emotions and what she's been struggling with. Like she's become a different person. She doesn't feel strong. She wants to stand on her own. And I think, yeah, we just have never gotten that from her. Not only that, she also reveals a pretty major bombshell that I think is kind of glossed over in this episode and in the series in general. Um, She mentions how the coach for Oak Lake, which is the number one high school basketball program in the country, they tried to recruit Nathan, but they had sent him away. And... So Deb talked to Dan. She said she was going to leave with Nathan, but that if she did that, he would find them and he would kill her. I know. That's that's wild because that shows a pattern. How many years ago was that? So it shows that he's been making these threats for a while now and being abusive for a very long time. And yeah, I think that part is kind of glossed over in this episode, actually. Because at first, like, she reveals about the dealership fire, and Nathan is upset by that, and he leaves the ho- the motel room. And then Deb shares the story that you just said, you know, about, you know, not receiving, um, sending that coach away, basically, so that Nathan wouldn't get that spot at the school. That is what kind of wins him back over, so he's really hearing Deb when he when she says... Dan's always going to be controlling. This is what he did, and this these are the threats that he has made. And I think that's when Nathan really understood, like, the level of this. It wasn't just him. It was also his mom. And that Dan is... I mean, maybe he didn't deserve to die, but he's not a good person. I think Nathan, he realizes this... And then he kind of warms up to, to Dan again. And then he realizes this, and he, then he warms up to Dan again. Like, through th- the whole series so far. Yeah. Like, it's it's this um, back and forth, you know, highs and lows. And now, hopefully, he will see, like, and realize the true Dan. Now he has power as the mayor on top of it. Because there was a moment, too, where he was kind of defending Dan, saying, like, oh, he doesn't deserve to die. Yeah. Like, deep down, he uh, he does want me to be happy, and he wants me to do well, which I feel like is the pattern of abuse right there. It is. But I feel like hearing this from Deb, he realizes, like, oh, you know what? Um, maybe my dad actually is a shitty person. I feel like that's something really complicated to unpack. There's lots of nuance there. It is, because he wants to believe that his dad has good in him. And I think Nathan, out of all the people in this world, has witnessed little pieces of good of Dan, you know, through his life. 
He has, because I think Dan loves Nathan more than he loves anyone else on this planet. So there have been, you know, maybe some happy moments and and whatnot. So Nathan is trying to come to terms with, like, what he knows, what he's witnessed, how his mom's been treated, how he's been treated. Like, there's a lot. Think about a teenager trying to process this. I mean, an adult processing this is a lot to begin with, you know. People have these relationships with their parents, you know. Like, where they they love their parent, but at the same time, they, they know that, like, they're not a perfect person. And Dan is is far from perfect. I love how you were so nice. You said he doesn't deserve to die. I'm like, no, I think this man does deserve to die, actually. <laughs> well, you can't kill Dan Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, back. <laughs> I think that's the second time I've done that lately. <laughs> Uh, All right. But Deb and Nathan say goodbye, and I love the part where she says, the day you emancipated yourself and broke my heart, now I realize it was your strongest moment. Hopefully I can find that strength. And then they say goodbye, and it looks like Deb's gone. No more Deb row. That's really upsetting. They didn't even have a goodbye kiss. They didn't. Oh, it's so sad. All right. Can we go over... Can we talk about funny things, finally? Because, like, this is dark. Yes, let's talk about happier things. Well, happier? I don't really know, uh, because Brooke is kind of running a sweatshop here. (laughs) (laughs) I love neurotic Brooke. I really, really do. I'm just saying, like, this could come back to haunt Brooke. Like, you know, like, let's say if she becomes, like, a major, like, you know, fashion influencer or whatever, they'll be like, when she was 17, she ran a sweatshop with kids, and she called them little people thinnies. (laughs) 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 Although I do think it's so funny when she's like, hey, kids, do you like to play dress up? This is tutorial girl, referring to Haley, and she'll teach you how to make dress up. Sound like fun? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there there were some good ones in this episode. And I love how it cut over. Did you realize that? Two separate times where there were conversations with Lucas and Faith. And Faith was talking. I think both of them were that. And Faith was saying something about a bitchy cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, she said next time, yeah, she says next time you're telling me you're gonna be that you're dating a bitchy cheerleader. And then, then it, it cuts to Brooke. It cuts to Brooke just yelling at Being everyone. a bitchy cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, move faster, Haley. <laughs> I noticed you weren't paying attention during the tutorial. And then Bevan brings Rachel, and that gets Brooke annoyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Rachel's is actually the best of everyone's, and she ends up sewing her own dress that she ordered that morning, apparently. <laughs> Which I'm like, that is such a mood. She's like, I like the design, just not the designer. <laughs> Which, that dress that she made... It looks, I don't know if it was the same dress, but I'm just saying, it looked very, very similar to the one that Brooke wore in season one, episode seven, Life in a Glass House. Oh, yeah. I'd have to look at the cut again. It was a red dress with, like, a deep V. It looked very similar, so I wondered if that was, like, trying to say, like, oh, like, this is Rachel trying to take over the role of, like, you know, the villainous vixen. Mm, Maybe. Because, you know, as we know in that episode, Brooke is really terrible and toxic. True. I just love how everyone knows how to sew so well. (laughs) Right? What the heck? 
I can't sew like that, especially a whole dress in that span of time. Are you kidding? Yes. Brooke should have just cut off the orders at the very beginning of the day. Why do they let that go on and on? She probably didn't anticipate that like people would actually want it. <laughs> would actually want to buy her clothes. But as soon as she had like 36 orders or whatever the amount was, why <laughs> did she want to keep going? Because she had nowhere near that amount. I mean, this would take days, even with a bunch of people helping. Yeah. So I don't know what they expected to achieve in one day. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Speaking of clothes, I got my clothes over bros t-shirt. Oh, you did? You have to show it to me. Yes. Which I will be wearing to the Philly show for the Drama Queens taping, which is tomorrow. Not like actually tomorrow, but like tomorrow if like you're if you're listening to this episode the day it goes live. Caitlin and I will be at the show tomorrow. Oh my. <laughs> We're gonna get to see the drama queens, Paul Johansson, Tori DeVito, who you don't know. Ah. Uh, I am so so excited. And Switchfoot. <laughs> Caitlin and I will be at the seven thirty show, seven o'clock show, whatever that is, the first show. So if you say so, if you're in Philly, come say hi to us. We are not going to be on stage or doing anything fancy. We are just going to be a normal audience member. <laughs> just come say hi to us. <gasps> I'm so pumped. Oh yes, but anyhow, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> what else happened in this episode? Oh, so when Rachel shows up to Brooks, she meets Mouth. Uh huh. So these two characters have an interaction. Um, mm-hmm. and she, she compliments him on his, um, what do you call it? His thing. His thing, yeah. <laughs> his thing as like a sports, uh, as a sports announcer. announcer. Yes. I could not find my <laughs> yeah. words. <laughs> yeah, Rachel says she listens to his interviews and it was, it was cute. There was definitely chemistry here. It seemed like Mouth was a little bit nervous because he's like, oh my god, a hot girl is talking to me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, probably. Rachel is a little intimidating. Yes. Let, let's I mean, be I'd honest. be nervous if she was talking to me too, right? Daniil is very attractive, also. <laughs> so, like, yes. that's intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's, she's so, so, so pretty. <laughs> yeah, she is. But then Brooke sees the two of them, and she says, sorry to interrupt the male bonds in, which, come on. What? Oh, man, I didn't catch that. Yep. Because Rachel's a man, and that is funny, and not transphobic at all. Oh, boy. Damn. So, Brooke, oh, and I also want to point out, Brooke is also mean to Mouth, and she says, Mouth, you didn't exactly break any speed records driving over here, you know? And then Mouth responds saying... You called me 17 minutes ago, and I drive a bicycle, Brooke. Yeah, she's really something, and I'm glad that Haley called her out. Mm-hmm. It was, someone had to, and I'm glad Haley did it, because it, it was necessary. <laughs> like, everyone's there trying to help, and Brooke is just awful. I mean, it's, it's hilarious, but it's awful at the same time. I love that Sophia Bush is able to toe that line for, like, us as the outsider, we know that, like, it's funny, but at the same time, like, you know, if you're experienced at the other end of this, it's toxic behavior. And then Haley says, like, it's not worth it if you treat, like, all of your friends like shit to get ahead. 
And then that's when Brooke comes to her senses and she tells everybody to shut it all down. She'll make the clothes herself and she'll close down the orders. That's what she should have done to begin with. As soon as those orders yeah. started to get out of control, just shut it down. And then mm-hmm. and then you can open it up again when you are caught up. Exactly. That's basically us when we produce these podcast episodes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> we are human too. Sometimes we're like, we're tired. We are going to take a little bit of a break. <laughs> I know. We started this episode tired, but I'm proud of us. We, yeah, we're I, good. I know. We're good. <laughs> yeah, before, <laughs> yeah, before we started recording, Caitlin and I were just like, uh, all right, are we ready? Like, we're gonna talk I never about hear Jeremy having like a tired voice either. <laughs> and I was like, this is different. You sound different. <laughs> For context, too, um, for those of you who were at the Buffer and the Vampire Slayer finale weekends, we are recording this three days later. I have barely slept. I went straight to work, and I have been, like, running ragged, okay? But I hope I am doing a good job of not being neurotic and not being a Brooke Davis here. <laughs> You're doing good. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> But Haley and, or, or uh, Brooke, in order to thank the little children for helping her, she gives away a bunch of CDs, and then Haley says, that was very nice of you to do that, Brooke, with my CDs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brooke. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. Those two are funny, Haley and Brooke. Underrated. Mm-hmm. Braille? Is that their name? I know. I guess it is. We never really use that Braille. I, I was like, Hrook? Hrook doesn't really work. That's weird. Or Hrook. I don't think... Yeah. I feel like I should not be using those sounds together. Hrook. <laughs> <laughs> Braille makes sense. Bram, Brames or Davis James. Davis James sounds like a law firm. <laughs> I don't want to use that. Davis Anyway, we'll workshop that. Let's talk about this coda, which is to the song Halo by Haley James Scotts. Not Bethany Joy Lenz, Haley James Scotts. I'm going to keep making sure that we note the distinction. Oh, we're a halo. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the first time we actually hear the song because... In the last episode, there was like a little bit of a, a little bit of a tease, but now we actually hear at least most of the song, and it's pretty good. I love it. I'm gonna be honest. I love this song. <laughs> it's so good. But it gets kicked off by Ellie puts the CD into the uh, player, and we're at her house. Ellie begins playing the song as her doctor calls to urge her to reconsider her decision to end cancer treatment. That's a big revelation. But the audience mm-hmm. knows and Peyton does not. Yes. And then we are at the mayor's office. Dan looks at his Mayor Dan Scott plaque before turning with a grin and placing it on the desk. He lines it up properly. Then we're at Brooke and Haley's bedroom. Haley is sitting on her bed, sad. She looks at her phone, flips it open, and scrolls down to Nathan's cell. She rethinks and shuts the phone again. Remember those moments when you would have friends' house phone and cell phone numbers, and <laughs> you would have, like, the distinction in your phone? It is, that's a really funny story. 
So I have some house phones. Yeah. In my cell phone still. And really? And a few months ago, I accidentally called my friend's house phone. Oh, God. She talked to their mom or something. I happened to be with the person because we were on a trip. Yeah. And then her mom's <laughs> calling me back. Is everything okay? <laughs> oh, no. That's a funny story. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I do remember. <laughs> some of them are still in there. Gen Z will never understand the absolute horror when you would have to call a friend's house. Because it costs money to call people before 9 p.m., so you you would call their house phone, and then you would have to like sit in terror as you were talking to their mom, as you waited for your friends to get to the phone in time. Gen Z will never understand that. You never knew who you were gonna get. <laughs> yeah, you know, on the phone. I had this one friend who sounded just like her mom, and then I would start like breaking into conversation, and then. It, that I'd hear on the other end, like, oh, this is actually uh, her mom. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Like, oops. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> what, what happens next in this code? So, we are at the front door of Peyton's house. Ellie shows up at Peyton's house, and the two decide to have a business arrangement over Haley's demo. Then we're go to the then we go to the front door of the Davis Scott apartment. Nathan enters, puts his arm around Haley, and closes the door shut behind them. And that's when he's like, I just wanted to see you. So we know the things are looking upward for the two of them. And that's really all the resolution that we get mm-hmm. with with Haley and Nathan for yep. now. And then finally we're at the river court. Lucas brings Brooke to the court, informing her that this is his world and that she gets to be the biggest part of it. Lucas then joins the boys on the court to play as Brooke excitedly runs over to hug Mouth. That was so cute, that scene. It was cute. It sucks that it happened right after the whole thing. Like, oh, uh, Peyton's car broke down and I, we got to crash for the night. Oh, just kidding. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it, was a, it ended on a good note. And I like the, the meaning behind it, like really bringing her into his world, you know? As his girlfriend, which mm-hmm. I feel like that wasn't what was in season one. That's not what was really done. Like there wasn't like a conscious effort to do that. Because I feel like Lucas wasn't really he wasn't that into Brooke when he was with her. So yeah. now now I feel like at least in this scene, he's he's trying to make an effort. I agree. It, it follows a scene that was really crappy. But I like how the episode ended. Yeah. Well, to push back against that a little bit, like, I feel like Lucas has done this before. Like, you notice he tried to get Brooke into, like, literature and everything like that. And Brooke was like, I'm not into any of that stuff. Oh, you're right um, with the books. Yeah. So I feel like the way that Lucas is being like, oh, this is, uh, you know, oh, this is my world. I feel like he's done this before. I feel like, if anything, Lucas should show that he wants to be a part of Brooke's world, which it would have meant a lot more if, like, you know, he actually came to help out with the clothing line, which he did not do. I know. So, so I don't think this is that cute. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Really? Really. 
I I think it is. I'm going to stand by that. I think it is. Oh, look at me. Look at us. You defending a Bruca scene and me not. I think all the other stuff has <sighs> clouded your opinion and this scene is cute. That That's <laughs> what I home. think. I love it. Not I bad. also, side note, just love the that Brooke hugged mouth. I, that I thought was, that was adorable. That was great. That's great. I want to see more of that. I want to see some more Browth. <laughs> Browth. <laughs> I'm really forcing some of these ship yes, names. Yes, you are. <laughs> that was not a really pretty one either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this. Favorite quote. Um, I would say my absolute favorite is what Deb says. The day you emancipated yourself, it broke my heart. Now I realize it was your strongest moment. Hopefully I can find that strength. But I also want to give an honorable mention to when Brooke is referred to the kids that Bevan brings over. <laughs> Brooke says, like, what are those? And Bevan's like, cookies. And then Brooke says, not those, those little people thingies. <laughs> That's a good Brooke line. <laughs> you said your favorite quote. What was it yeah, again, Lil? I already said mine. That's when Peyton said, no, I fell in love with music. Mm, I won't cute. cite the whole conversation as my quote, but in the context of that conversation, that's my favorite line. Okay, 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 cool. Thank you, thank you so much for clarifying. I appreciate you. Uh. <laughs> Musical <laughs> moment? What do you got? No, I'm, I'm just, I just gotta say, like, you know, like, first listeners, like, like, let's say if this is your first episode, you're like, like, why the fuck is there so much shade in that little moment? <laughs> You just gotta listen to our previous episodes, okay? <laughs> you will put the visas together. Yes, that is really, really true. <laughs> anyway, my favorite musical moment's Dakota. Full stop. Yeah, so it's great. I love the song playing. I love how it starts when Ellie is listening to it in, you know, in that scene. And I don't know, it's perfect for the moment. Because you get to see Ellie show up at Peyton's door. You get to see the whole River Court thing. And it's a great song. I think it's like kind of a deeper song. But it has kind of like this energy to it that fit the moment. Yeah, like I always said that I would make mistakes. I'm only human and that's my saving grace. Yes. That's what all these characters are doing. <laughs> they they are only human and now they're sort of coming back together at the ends. You know, we see Nathan and Haley come back together, and Brooke and Lucas, that's what the writers want us to think. I don't agree, which I already talked about. Yeah, it's totally, totally relatable. One thing is clear, I wear a halo when you look at me. And, you know, that that line there is really good. And I think that's how Haley was seen by Nathan, you know, originally, and then they had the whole falling out. Basically, she... She's not an angel. Like, she doesn't have the halo. She is, she isn't perfect, you know? And I think that's yeah. what the song's saying. Yeah, because standing from here, you wouldn't say so. Yes. You wouldn't say so if you were her. That's great. But I, I just want to love <laughs> you. Oh, oh, I, I just want to love you. I wear a halo. <laughs> It's been and a while, I feel like, since my we both honorable this mention song. is the Aqualung song, Easier to Lie, which I already said. Mm. I just love that Ellie and Peyton scene 
with the music. That is a good moment. Like, I completely forgot about that when the music swells when she opens the closet. You're absolutely right. That is a good moment. I I love Halo as a song so much. And I think this is a good moment with Halo, too. But those two moments are neck and neck to me. But I'll I'll Mm. choose Halo and do my honorable is easier to lie. Hell yeah. Um... For my rating for this episode, I give it three out of five little people thinnies because <laughs> the, the episode's just, it's just fine. <laughs> it's not terrible. It's not good. It's just fine. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, if we were doing half scores, then maybe. But I, I'm still going to go with a four out of five business arrangements. I think it's cool. decent. It does have some things... Like, it was entertaining enough to watch. And I love the Peyton and Ellie scenes. So that's really what, like, brings it up a notch for me, even though there's all of the Bruca stuff and the Faith stuff that, like, brings it down. But yeah, overall, I still give it four out of five. I fail you. I fail you. We'll have to say if the next episode is any better. Is it? I really don't remember. We will find out. Yes, we will. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at alwaysothpod. You can also email us at alwaysothpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at RodriguezJeremy. And I'm Caitlin Illinich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll be seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. So, one thing I want to note about Brooke referring to the kids as little people thingies, her, her attitude toward children... Definitely changes <laughs> as the series progresses. <laughs> yeah, drastically. And in her early 20s to boot. <laughs> yeah, She wants exactly. to adopt a kid. Like, I think she, she fosters one. She wants to adopt yeah. a kid when she's like 23 or something absurd. 22. <laughs> Was it 22? Oh, my God. Yeah. You laugh. I um I actually I actually met somebody this weekend who uh, fostered a child, adopted her son at twenty four, and he was eleven. That's wild. Like this is like a real life thing, and I was like, well, like this kind of is one tree hill in real life a little bit. I'm thirty one, and I'm not ready. I'm not near ready <laughs> to have children. <laughs> so or a child Uh, you know that's everyone has a different um you know they just have a different 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 outlook on life different life experiences yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm somebody who doesn't want children at all but is fine with a bunch of nibblings okay that's okay exactly but anyway yeah she 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 becomes a great 
great godmother to Jamie as well. And then she tells Peyton in season five, I want to have a baby. And then I'm just thinking back to that scene. Peyton says, with me? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Although how cool would that have been if they just had like this whole co-parent situation, like Brooke and Peyton raising a baby together? I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been like a great sitcom, actually. It would have. An alternate (laughs) universe. (laughs) And I'm not even trying to put them together as a couple in this situation. I'm literally just saying, like, them raise a baby together. Just be parents, you know? Yeah, and I love them as best friends anyway, so. Anyway, yeah, a lot of, uh, she she changes her attitude toward kids, like, two seasons later. (laughs) (laughs) That is wild. I did not think of that. But anyway, um, the other thing I want to know, they reference uh, Oak Lake. Which, this isn't really, like, a big plot point or anything like that, but in episode 20 of this season, we meet a character named Damian West, another example of just a one-episode character, and he played at Oak Lake, and he's, like, a rival to Nathan in that episode. Interesting. Because Oak Lake, that's not a team that's referred to, like, a lot in the show. I was about to say, is this the only other time that it's referred to? I don't remember that name any other time. Because I feel like maybe, I wonder if they were planting the nugget of Oak Lake here to try to, like, uh, do something later on. Which, it's disappointed because, you know, that character, they don't do anything with that character either. I don't really like that character. That's something we'll I'll unpack more when we get to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I just wonders if, like, I just wonder if they were trying to plant a nugget there. I wonder. They seem to be planting a lot of potential nuggets <laughs> and then nothing happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Anyway, um, Rachel mouth me in this episode. Yeah, that's a big deal because this friendship becomes interesting. And Mouth obviously develops a lot of feelings for Rachel that she never reciprocates. But I like them together. They have good chemistry. Yeah, I do too. I like the trajectory of their mm-hmm. relationship though. I agree. And then obviously, well, we know the character assassination and... Everything in the later seasons. Don't get me started. <laughs> Not too fun, but uh, yeah, this is the first little scene that we get, and I'm excited to see all those scenes moving forward and into season four too. Mm-hmm. The moment that I remember most vividly in season four is when Rachel is leaving at the airport, and then Amalfa saying goodbye to her, and then he just says, "You know what? I'm coming with you," and then he ends up going with her. Oh, yeah, you're right. I, I remember thinking that being very, very cute. What could have been with those characters? I, You know, I wish it was fleshed out more. Because, like, we get so many good scenes with them. It would have been an unexpected thing for them to date. I kind of like that they didn't. I don't know, because I feel like it would be too much, like, wish fulfillment for the creator of the show. Because we know Mouth was, like, his self-insert here. There's so much pining with Mouth, though. Like, he pines for Brooke, and then he pines for Rachel. Yeah. It's like he's pining for, like, these uh, these women that are, like, unattainable for him. And then he ends up with Millicent, and it's, like, really happy. And I love him with Millie. Um, so I Absolutely. like that they don't end up. I also like that he doesn't end up with Brooke, either. I know a lot of people, like, uh, like those two together and wish they could have ended up together. Um, but I like that Mal found his self-worth in elsewhere. Like, he didn't have to keep pining. He ended up finding a, a woman who actually did reciprocate feelings toward him. 
And he ended up moving on. And I kind of think that's like a really exciting arc for him. As for the Rachel character, we know, like, maybe Rachel could have been developed if the creator and showrunner wasn't a fucking creep. Yeah, it would have been nice to see Rachel in a loving relationship, like, something that was functional. (laughs) I know. You know? And because we get that, you know, with Mal, obviously, I love Millie, too. I think Millie was the perfect person. Yes. Absolutely. Like, they made the perfect character for Mouth until she got addicted to drugs, I hate that hate that storyline for so many reasons. It's, it's not funny, but like it's just so. And that like ruined so that like the ruined job. their relationship there. Remember? And then they got then they weren't together, and then they had to get back together. Yeah, it's such a left turn too, just completely out of nowhere. It was such a left turn, and I hate that. I hate that story. Like, there was no build-up whatsoever toward, like, you know, like, oh, Millicent has an addictive personality or something like that. It it wasn't like how, like, when Kelly Taylor got addicted to cocaine on uh, 90210, because there was a steady build-up toward that, if you ever watched those seasons. Like, it's very, it, it very subtly gets built up throughout the seasons, and then all of a sudden she's addicted. Millicent is just like, oh, okay, she's addicted to cocaine now, cool. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. I hate it. And then it breaks up Millie and Mouth. Um, one other thing I want to note for the spoiler segment that it didn't say. Please. I mentioned it earlier, but not related to spoilers. Um, so the scene with Lucas and Faith, and Faith asks Lucas, who's looking out for the people like me, the ones who are afraid to go to school? And I feel like that um, foreshadows the school shooting. And Jimmy, Jimmy Edwards, when I heard that line, I remember I rewound and listened to it again and wrote it down. I'm like, yeah, I don't even remember that line occurring in the episode, to be honest. That's really interesting. When you mentioned it earlier, I was like, oh. Yeah, I I looked at the Faith um, scenes again because I'm like, what is what's the meat here (laughs) of what of what they're trying to, like, show in these scenes? Like, what is the meat of the story there? And to me, I, I thought that line was interesting. Because she talks about, like, her and Lucas being outcasts in the past, and now he is popular, she's no longer there, who is looking out for those, the kids who are afraid to go to school. Mm. I, I wonder if that was on purpose, that line. Interesting. But it made me think. Well, we'll find out about all of these plot lines when we have the return of the future. I've had better. I've had better transitions, <laughs> but whatever. Next time we're talking about season three, episode 11, return of the future, which is our last episode before we go on our mid-season hiatus. And taken from our OTH DVD box sets, the description reads, Keith returns, receiving a warm welcome from Lucas and Karen, and an attempted murder accusation from Dan. In fact, Dan keeps poisoning every well of happiness he finds, particularly Nathan and Haley's. We'll be seeing ya. We'll be seeing ya. I think we I think you purposely go slower. (laughs) 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 To make it awkward. (laughs) I do not. I do not try to do this for a bit, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. Knock it off. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to stop the recording now.